everyone. Good morning from me. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Rich, um, and this morning we're going to be continuing our series uh, that we've entitled Building Culture. Um, and building culture is all about how we can be a people who learn together what it is to live with what we might call a kingdom culture, a way of seeing the world that is shaped by an understanding of who God is and what he's done. And then to take that culture with us wherever we go in order to reveal him uh, in the places that we work and the places that we study, um, in our recoveries, in our homes, in our communities. And that's what we just kind of heard on the intro video there. A couple of people, um, and every week we're having a video with different people sharing um, what it's like for them in their lives, in their situations. Each of us, you see, is in a unique position to know and to reveal Jesus in a way that nobody else can. And so over the course of this series, we've looked at what it is to build a culture of love, a culture of hope, a culture of honour, of joy, and of rest. And this morning, we're going to look at what it is to build a culture of comfort. And so we're going to start that off by looking at the words of a man called Paul um, in a letter to a church in the city of Corinth. It's in the New Testament. Uh, And Paul is someone who describes his experience of being a Christian as something that has caused him this. This is what he writes. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked, and beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So, in other words, Paul is someone who knows what it is to need comforting. He knows what it is to need to know comfort in the midst of suffering. And yet, in the same letter where he writes all of this, everything he's gone through, everything he's had to endure and experience, he also writes these words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And this afternoon, uh, we're going to look at three questions. First of all, what is comfort and why is it important? Secondly, how Jesus brings that comfort. And finally, how each of us can bring that comfort to those around us and start to build a culture where that's the norm. And so uh, to kick things off this morning, I want to start with uh, an image of one of the things I love most of all in life, um, and that is cricket. Um, And this image here, one cricket fan in the house. There we are, I see you. 
all. Um, <laughs> and this image here um, is quite a famous image, actually. It was taken at this very ground 11 years ago uh, and has gone on to become one of the most defining images in all of sport. Um, and basically, to set the scene, uh, it's a moment just after England have secured a famous two-run victory um, against their greatest rivals, Australia, um, in the most dramatic ending to a match, the high point of the greatest series in the history of cricket. Um, I would say that. I'm a little bit biased. Um, and basically, what's happened is England have just won this titanic struggle, uh, and the Englishman, Freddie Flintoff, who's the guy on the right, um, stops celebrating with the 20,000 others in the stadium. And he takes a moment to comfort the crestfallen Australian, Brett Lee, um, who's come so close but had just fallen short. It's a poignant moment, um, and that's why it's gone on to become such an iconic image, because it says something powerful about the place of comfort and how it's something that anyone, even fierce competitors, can help to bring about. And so when we're thinking about what it is to bring comfort, the first thing to note is that comfort is incredibly personal. As much as our culture might try and tell us otherwise, comfort can't be found in something, only in someone. It can't be found at the bottom of a bottle. It can't be found in the latest gadget. It can't be found in a higher number for our bank balance. That's what the world seems to say that comfort is all about. Anyone, at any time, from any place, can, with a single tap of their phone, order almost anything they could ever need. If comfort is all about stuff that we acquire, then surely our culture is the most easily comforted in all of history. But it's not true. We've bought in to that myth, isolated ourselves, as we've traded others' comfort for what we think will be our own. We've convinced ourselves it's okay because it's all done on the other side of a computer screen. And yet, when we see images of children working in sweatshops or communities suffering from the impact of climate change or whole countries torn apart by war, we know that this is a world crying out for comfort crying out for comfort and that there's a responsibility on us to do something about it. And it might well be that that process of finding and revealing true comfort is in itself quite uncomfortable. If, here, if you're here this afternoon uh, and would say that you're feeling comfortable, you feel like uh, you've got everything sorted, like everything's running smoothly, but you're finding that in things that can't last, that are only ever going to let you down, then Jesus wants to make you uncomfortable today. And that's not because he doesn't desire your comfort. He really does. He desires it even more than you do. He so desires your ultimate comfort that he's willing to allow you a little bit of discomfort in order to give it to you. And that's certainly been my experience. I know that when I've allowed myself to get wrapped up in my own pride, it's uncomfortable to learn humility. When I'm allowing myself um, to get all worked up about worry uh, for circumstances or the future, 
it's uncomfortable to learn to trust in God no matter what. When I'm allowing myself to become centered on other things, to put my life around them instead, it's uncomfortable to let them go, to realign myself with what really matters. Jesus wants to reset our priorities this morning. So if we're finding our comfort and our meaning and our identity in anything other than him, we might come to see that true comfort, true meaning, true identity can only be found in him. And if we're looking for it somewhere else, we're only ever going to be disappointed. Everything else in the world that promises comfort is only ever a shadow of the comfort that Jesus offers. So what does true comfort look like? Well, the Bible's view of comfort in the passage um, we heard at the start is very different. Uh, You probably noticed that Paul said the word a lot, um, like a lot, a lot, um, in a few short verses. Um, But the word he actually uses that we translate as comfort is actually a little bit more rounded. It's a little bit more multifaceted um, than our word comfort. And the whole idea of that word is one person being with another. It's meeting someone where they are, whether that's crouched in a sports stadium while 20,000 others are celebrating, or sitting together on a sofa one-to-one. Comfort is something that can only ever be done personally. And you can be comforted over the phone or by Skype or by letter. It's not always physical, but what it is always is relational. It's always about individuals connecting heart to heart. True comfort is also self-giving. It always requires sacrifice on the part of the comforter. Uh, You can't comfort someone unless you first empathize with them, unless you've first put yourself in their shoes, seen things from their perspective. It might be self-giving in terms of time to just be with someone and listen to what's going on in their life. It might be self-giving in terms of resourcing, um, helping people out with the practical needs that they have. It might be self-giving in terms of energy and ideas, helping people with problems that they're facing. Whatever it is, comfort always comes with a cost. It always requires you to give of yourself in order to bring comfort to someone else. And for that reason, comfort always encompasses kindness. The harsh reality of the world that we live in is that often the strong survive while the struggling are left behind. And that's just the way things are. But throughout the Bible, we see that God's heart is always for the last, the least, and the lost. It's always um, for the widows and the orphans, the underprivileged, those on the edges of society. The God of all comfort that Paul wrote about is the father of compassion. His essential nature is to show kindness to anyone that the world tries to leave behind. Kindness is the antidote to the poison of progress at any cost. And that ideal has been such an important one uh, in our country's history. It was part of the vision behind the founding of things like the NHS, um, a health service free at the point of use for anyone who needed it, in order that nobody might be left behind. Paul's encouragement 
for us is to be those who stand up for kindness, who look out for the last, the least, and the lost, and seek not to just leave them behind, but rather to bring them with us. So true comfort is kind. It's also encouraging. Um, When I first joined Oasis, one of the things I found weird to start with, um, and there are many, as you'll find, um, but this one in particular, uh, is that uh, it's really encouraging. Um, And that can be a bit strange sometimes when, for instance, in our worship earlier, people would contribute, they would add something in they felt maybe God was saying, and others would say, um, yes, or amen, or come on. People would speak out their encouragement to others, even as they were contributing. And it seems a bit weird when you're first getting used to it. But when you're nervous and you're taking that step to add something in, boy, do you appreciate it. And when we comfort one another through encouragement, either with a simple yes, um, or as we're walking with them through the darkest of times, We have the unique opportunity and privilege to speak words which help change someone's mood and situation, which help give courage to the nervous, hope to the hopeless, peace to the restless. And finally, true comfort is freeing. It's not just about consoling someone. Uh, Consolation is kind of part of it, but what that is is just to bring someone back from utter despair to kind of regular unhappiness. If my football team scores a consolation goal, um, the likelihood is that we're still going home at the end of the day having lost 4-1 or 5-1. Like, it's a big loss. We're not winning, in other words. That's what consolation is. And yet, the word that Paul uses in this passage over and over and over again does more than that. It meets people where they are And then it brings them right on through to the point where they can begin again to see new hope, new possibilities, new ways forward. True comfort brings freedom from the chains that bind us. It doesn't just say, oh, that's a shame, isn't it? That's just the way things are. It's difficult, isn't it? I know it's hard. True comfort says it might be like this now, but it's not always going to be. And I'm going to stand with you and walk with you through it, no matter how long that will take. True comfort says, when I find myself in times of trouble, it's not enough to just let it be. It's not enough. True comfort is personal. It's self-giving. It's kind. It's encouraging. And ultimately, it's freeing. And so that's what true comfort is. Um, And so where does it come from? We've already looked a little at what the world in its natural state is like without comfort, too often unkind, too often looking for comfort in all the wrong places. But the Christian claim is that we can comfort, and not just that we can comfort, but that we're called to comfort. Because we can know the one who is the God of all comfort, the only one in whom true comfort is found. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, the perfect representation of who God is, what we should expect to find is the greatest comforter in history. One who's worthy of the name Wonderful Counselor. And Matthew 
um, who wrote an account of Jesus' life, um, writes this uh, about an interaction that he has. And he says this, while he, that's Jesus, was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him. And so did his disciples. And just then, a woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. And when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away, the girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. This story tells us a number of different things about Jesus. And they might be quite familiar. First of all, it tells us that he's personal. Not just uh, that he is a real historical figure who stepped into history, but that he's a person who cares deeply about people. Someone comes to him. They ask for help with a seemingly impossible problem. And he goes with them. He walks with them. And then when someone else touches his cloak with faith, he notices, he turns and sees her, not just with his eyes, but with his heart. He meets her where she is in her suffering. The next thing it tells us is that Jesus is self-giving. He could have done the miracle from a distance, but he chooses to go with the man. He goes out of his way. He gives himself in order to bring healing, to bring restoration, ultimately to bring resurrection to the daughter. He takes the mocking, the laughter of that group of people, probably um, a group of professional mourners um, who gathered to make money out of people's misery. He doesn't care what they think about him because he knows he's about to do something extraordinary. The story tells us that Jesus is kind. The woman in the crowd who'd been suffering from a condition that meant that she'd been bleeding for 12 years would, in that society, have been ostracized. She'd be an outcast, struggling every day to get by. And yet, when she approaches Jesus, he turns to see her. He names her daughter. He gives her value and acceptance. That was one of the amazing truths we heard together in our worship time. Jesus gives her dignity. He treats her in a way that perhaps no one else had for 12 years. And the wonderful reality is that we worship a God who is both awesomely powerful and unbelievably kind. What we see in the world so often is that the more power someone gets, the more isolated they become the less kindness they show. But God is the opposite. His strength is far beyond anything we could imagine. And yet so too is his love and his compassion 
for each and every one of us. Jesus does all this too in a way that's really encouraging. Uh, When the woman approaches him, he says, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. He commends her on her belief, on taking that step of faith to draw near when she probably had to spend the last 12 years of her life with others drawing away from her, cutting her off. Jesus turns it all around. He invites her near again. And finally, everything he does is freeing. If the story ends with the woman still bleeding and the girl still dead, what we're looking at is a nice guy. But that's it. No, Jesus is the true comforter because ultimately he's the one who came to bring freedom from the place of darkness, freedom from suffering and sickness, freedom even from death itself. And ultimately, each of these characteristics are revealed in their fullest sense in his death and resurrection. On the cross, we see his ultimate personal connection with humanity. We see his giving of his very self for us, the kindness to endure unbelievable pain on our behalf, the encouragement, even in that place of suffering, to point others to God, that victory of freedom from sin and death, won at the greatest cost in order that what's true of him becomes true of us. In his death, and even more so in his resurrection, we see the power of God to comfort and heal now, in every moment. And we see the hope that those momentous events offer, that God will one day set everything to rights. That's the message at the end of the Bible that picture of a renewed and restored heaven and earth where God has wiped away every tear from every eye, where he set everything to right, where love and peace and justice reign. That's the hope of what's coming that we see through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that he lived out in every encounter he had here on earth, and that now he wants to bring to all those who need comfort. The promise of the resurrection is that God's project of new creation has already begun and that by his spirit, through his people, he wants to bring it to each and every person. And so the call on us, first of all, is to come to Jesus, whether for the first time or the thousandth, to see what kind of a person he is, to allow him to bring that comfort to us in whatever we're going through and then to seek to bring that to those around us to call forward that future hope into the lives of others in a way that is personal self-giving kind encouraging and freeing and so for the rest of our time together we're going to look at how we do that practically Um, and we're going to start it off uh, with a couple of stories. Uh, And so I'd like to invite Sarah back up, um, who's just going to be sharing a little bit about what happened um, after the morning meeting uh, last week. Um, So why don't we uh, welcome Sarah um, as she comes up. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that encouragement. (laughs) So, yeah, I went out for part of Loving the City, which is an initiative that Paul Sams has started recently, um, which is actually quite scary, but really encouraging as well. So we basically go out into the park, um, look into 
encourage people, to speak words of encouragement to them, to bless them, to give them chocolates, to look for opportunity to speak to them. And it, we had a really good time. So we had um, quite a few good conversations about people who are really searching for God. Um, there was a chance to give prophetic words to people, like real words of encouragement, give away a lot of chocolates. So I just want to share a couple of stories. So um, for me, then, my little team, uh, we've been around the park and we noticed a lady sitting on a bench at the end. And this lady, she just looked really sad. When I looked at her, I thought, gosh, it looked like she's got the weight of the world on her shoulders. And I got a bit of a push to go and talk to her. So <laughs> I went and sat by her and said, oh, you just look really sad. Do you want to just talk for a bit? And she said, oh, she really would like to. And I said, you know, what's going on? She said that her mum had just died and her dad had got cancer and, you know, all sorts of things have been going on in her life. And that morning, she actually lived in Telford, and that morning she woke up and thought, I've just got to get away. I've just got to get back to Cannon Hill Park, which she lived nearby here when she was growing up. And I've just got to kind of process all the stuff going on in life. And so she was sitting on that bench, feeling absolutely desperate, really. And so I got a chance to pray with her. She was really open to be prayed for, really listened to things. And then at the end, I gave my phone number, and she said she doesn't have very many friends at the moment, so doesn't have anyone to talk to. And so she has the opportunity to phone me and talk again. So I just think the part of that story is she just looked really sad, and we just took time to just notice that maybe she wanted a conversation with somebody. So that was a great story. So the second story is completely different then. So um, Anne was in the, the Mac where they're having a food festival and she felt like God said to her to go and buy a Rocky Road bar and to give it to somebody. So she was just kind of listening to the Holy Spirit, you know, who do you want me to give this Rocky Road bar to? So very nice. <laughs> I would read it. <laughs> so, and she felt really prompted to talk to this lady. She, this lady just really caught her eye and she just felt like, you know, this, this is the person. And so she went up to this lady and said, I know this sounds a bit unusual and I'm just learning how to do this, but I really felt like God say to give you this rocky road because you're having a really rocky time in your life at the moment. But I'm going to pray that God will bring some real sweetness into your life. And apparently this woman was completely blown away by that and it really rung a resonated with her and she went away completely blessed <laughs> so that's a great story isn't it so and then the final story I'm going to share is that a few days later then I felt really challenged about this and thought do you know what I should be able to do this by myself so I was going down to Canhill Park anyway for a walk so I thought right um walk around the park full speed as I normally do <laughs> didn't spot anybody didn't have any conversations and then I just said to God oh this is really hard I can't do this and I felt God say just slow down and so I slowed down I took some photographs this pretty tree and then I noticed this older lady sitting on the bench nearby so I got chatting to her about the weather you know very easy in England to start a conversation um and within you know within a couple of minutes this lady was pouring out her whole life to me about how you know she used to come here with her husband before her husband died and now she just comes to the park because she's so so ill she's got so many ailments she can only make it as far as the park and so I had opportunity to pray with her for her health and she was really blessed she really enjoyed being prayed for so I, I just just want to say really it's about opening your eyes and just being open to having a conversation you know maybe I was the only person that lady talked to that day she lived on her own so it's just blessing people around us I love those stories. When I heard them for the first time, I thought, I've got to, we've got to get them in on a Sunday um, because they're so good, aren't they? They're so uh, encouraging, but they're also so simple. Uh, all of them start just kind of in the same way. Um, 
in intentionally thinking, who can I bring comfort to today? And maybe we'll find that as we gather this time next week, um, we'll have a whole bunch of new stories. Um, did you think, as you're listening to those, actually, that's something I could do. Um, I could talk to someone. I could look out for people who maybe are looking a little bit down and try and bring them a bit of encouragement. And it might well be, as we do that, we discover that God has uniquely worked it um, in the way that he did in that first story. So that they're right there at that very moment in order for you to bring comfort and encouragement in a way that nobody else can. And so a few thoughts as we close um, on how we go about building a culture that is comforting. And it starts first and foremost with knowing that comfort. And that doesn't mean um, that we have to have everything sorted in our own lives in order to speak truth into the lives of others. But what it does mean is that we need to recognize that um, each of us are in need of comfort. And each of us will be tempted to look for that comfort in things that are ultimately unfulfilling and unsatisfying. And the question this morning is, do you know the one who offers true comfort this afternoon? Do you know him? Because if you don't, he'd love to meet you. If you don't, he'd love to come and walk with you through whatever you're facing in any circumstance. The second thing um, is to notice. Uh, in order to bring comfort, we need to pay attention uh, to those who might need comforting. That was kind of also came through really clearly in the stories that uh, Sarah shared. See, in our culture, um, the way of dealing with our problems is often to try and hide them away. Kind of the classic British stiff upper lip, just keep soldiering on, just keep going. If we do get an opportunity this week to bring comfort to others, don't miss it. You know, those stories are true in the park, they're true in the Mac, they're also true in your workplaces, your universities, your homes, your communities. It starts with intentionality. The third thing um, is to be okay with it not being neat and tidy. Be okay with a bit of mess. Because when we're dealing with reality, with people's lives and struggles and sorrows and all that, it's not going to be neat and tidy. It's never going to be neat and tidy because we're not neat and tidy. And that's how we try and live together as Oasis, transparently. Because that's the only way that we can build genuine relationship that brings true comfort. You know, it's messy in the nursery. It's neat and tidy in the morgue. Comfort can only come at a cost. And life means mess. Life means mess. And the cost of comfort is recognizing that things will never be quite as straightforward, never quite as simple as we want them to be. And that that's okay. That's okay. And it's okay because we're not alone as we do it. That's my fourth and final thing. We don't do it alone. When we truly know Jesus and the comfort that he offers, when we give ourselves to a community that's centered around him, we have the freedom to walk the journey with others, no matter how long it is or how hard it seems, knowing that we're not alone. Jesus doesn't promise an instant fix. We saw that in the story. First of all, for um, 
the man, the synagogue leader, there was a journey. There was a journey. He had to walk back to his house. But Jesus walked it with him. And that's the promise for us. Not that there'll be an instant fix, but that Jesus will walk the journey with you. And one day, he will put everything to rights. And the challenge for us this afternoon is to live in that. It's to know Jesus. It's to notice those around us. It's to not be put off by things not being neat and tidy. It's to remember that we're not alone. I wonder, as we finish, um, if I could just challenge us in three different ways. Uh, First of all, do you know this comfort? Do you know this comfort? Secondly, what do you need to do to live more in it? And thirdly, how can you be revealing this comfort to those around you? Those are the questions I want to leave you with this morning as we go. But I wonder um, if we could just invite us to stand um, as we close. This is a way of getting loose. I know you've been sat down for quite a while. If you're here this morning and you're suffering or you're struggling in whatever way that might be, Jesus wants to be your comfort. Jesus can be your comfort right now, this afternoon, in this place. He's longing to come and reveal himself to you again, to meet you in your context and your situation and provide everything that you need. God, at the very core of his being, is a God of love. He longs to share everything he has with us. And he's a God of light who wants to break into even the darkest situations. And so we pray, God, would you break in right now? For every person here today, that we would know your comfort, that we would know that you are the one who sustains and grows and builds us into everything that we can be. And I pray, Jesus, as we go out from this place, we would go out knowing that comfort. Or we would go out being challenged to see you again in it. To see how, in whatever we're going through, you can be the one who brings that true comfort. I pray as we go out this week that you'd be helping us to be intentional. You'd be helping us to be on the lookout for opportunities to uniquely bring that comfort to others. That we would not just know it and keep it to ourselves, but rather that we would always be seeking to give it away. Always seeking to bring comfort in the way that you brought comfort to all of those that you interacted with. I pray, Lord, this week we would have weeks marked by knowing and revealing your comfort in whatever situation and circumstance we've been uniquely placed. In your name I pray. Amen.